Hello, this is Wayne McCrary. I'm the team leader for Don't Explore the Bible, and today David Briscoe is joining me as we look at session 11 of our study of Romans. We're looking at Romans chapter 12. We're going to be focusing on verses 1 and 2, and then 9 through 18. Verses 1 and 2, Paul challenges Christians to offer themselves to God as living sacrifices. Uh, their lives were to be acts of worship to God. Uh, being a living sacrifice, it includes the transformation of our minds so that our thoughts reflect the will of God. Verses 9 through 13, Paul then calls on believers to demonstrate God's love to others without hypocrisy. This love includes putting others' needs first in community. In verses 14 through 18 of chapter 12, Paul exhorts Christians to express love to all people. And he's really pointing to the Roman people, Roman readers here. Even those who persecuted them. He's calling on, Paul is calling on believers to do all they can to be at peace with all people. And he, he is noting at this point uh, that that is inclusive of those who are persecuting you. Paul had lived this out having faced many persecutions in his life. So he's asking them to do something that he was doing himself. Chapter 12 is really a change in focus in Paul's letter. He moves to the practical side of salvation, how we live out this salvation that we gain as a result of faith in Jesus, which is what he's been focusing on in the first 11 chapters. So now we have this change in focus to this practical side. So like I said, our outline for this particular session is offer yourself, which is Romans 12, 1 and 2, live authentically, which is 12, 19 through 13, and be at peace, which is 12, 14 through 18. David, let's jump right in here. What does a living sacrifice look like? How can a person be a living, uh, be living, excuse me, and yet be a sacrifice? Well, this, to me, this is another example of, of how uh, Paul is such an effective communicator of the gospel, in part because he connected truth to people's everyday lives. So everyone to whom Paul was writing, whether they were Gentiles or Jews, everyone knew about offering sacrifices as an act of worship. E even those who had a pagan background, uh, they were not atheists. They were worshiping idols, gods that were not gods. But certainly the Israelites, uh, those who, the Jews, were aware of, of the idea of presenting offerings and sacrifices as an act of worship. And in fact, in the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17, uh, the law reminded the Israelites, don't present yourself before God empty-handed. Don't come before God to worship him uh, empty-handed. And so there were there were different types of offerings, and and you could uh, you could offer a domesticated animal, uh, a ram, a, a sheep, a um, uh, or you could could offer sheaves of grain. The wave offering uh, is an interesting offering, but it was you used a sheaf of grain and waved that in front of the Lord, or you could use processed grain, the the flour, the meal. Uh, of the grain would, could be brought as uh, a sacrifice or an offering unto the Lord. But the, the point Paul is getting at is it's a, it's a constant temptation to think of sacrifices as transactional, as a, a quid pro quo. I bring you an animal, God, 
you give me what I want. Uh, and so if you think back in Old Testament history about King Saul, for example, he learned the era of that kind of thinking uh, the hard way. He, he lost his kingship uh, because of a time when he decided he would take upon himself this act of offering a sacrifice that he was not qualified to, to offer. And the uh, prophet Samuel came to him and said, what, what the Lord wants more than animal sacrifices or other kinds of offerings. He wants obedience. Well, also in Old Testament history, King David realized that the true purpose of sacrifice was giving oneself in obedience to God. Let me, let me just call our attention to Psalm 51, which is where, uh, where D David is, is repenting of and uh, talking about how uh, sorrowful he is uh, for the actions that he did in his betrayal of God in uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba in murdering his soldier uh, Uriah and so in that great psalm the psalm of repentance here's what David said uh, toward the conclusion Lord open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it you are not pleased with a burnt offering the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. So Paul, in the same way, is calling on believers now that when they offer, uh, come before God to worship him, and they are perhaps accustomed to bringing an animal sacrifice or uh, a sacrifice of meal or some other kind of offering, Paul says, listen, here's what God wants. Here's what God expects. Ourselves. He wants our bodies. That is, in the way that we live and behave. Brothers, uh, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But he wants our minds in the ways that we think and discern. So he says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what's the good and pleasing perfect will of God. So this is what God is really wanting uh, is he wants us to give ourselves to him, offer ourselves. All the actions that David mentions in Psalm 51 and the other things that are mentioned here are actions done by someone who's alive. That's right. So you can see why Paul would point to this sacrifice being alive and not something that's, that's dead placed on an altar. You, you mentioned transforming our minds, David. Why is that so important here? Well, he, Paul mentioned in 12.2 that, that the renewing of our mind is part of that overall spiritual tra transformation. It's what the Spirit accomplishes in, believe, in, in the believer. And so it's, it's important because, as I said in an earlier uh, se se session, that sin corrupts the mind uh, and it leads to sinful behavior. In, in Romans 1.28, Paul wrote, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, to even acknowledge that he exists, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. So it, here's the importance of it. What, as we think, so we do. Uh, that is the uh, the actions that we might do 
sinful actions that we might do. These are coming out of uh, what's happening in our minds. So uh, Paul, is, as he said, when he talked about offering ourselves, we're to offer not just our, our bodies, but we're to make sure that we offer our minds, that we not be conformed to this world, but that we be transformed, uh, our minds being renewed. David, there's several things in this passage we're called upon to do. We're to love others without hypocrisy. We're to put others' needs first. Um, We're to um, try to be at peace with all people, um, express love to even those who persecute us. A lot of things we're being encouraged to do here by Paul. Is it realistic for us to think that we can do these things that are listed in these verses? I guess another way, how are these evidence or evident of a person's salvation? Well, let me take that question first. How how are these matters that are uh, identified in in chapter 12, verses 9 through 18 or so, uh, how are they evidence of a person's salvation? Well, if you think about uh, Paul's contrast, again, in Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 23, the the contrast between works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. And you think about the things that he listed there, very similar to uh, the fruit of the Spirit, is very similar to what Paul uh, mentions here in chapter 12, verse, Romans 12, 9 through 18. Uh, so these would be uh, actions that are really empowered by the Spirit. And by the way, uh, there are some verses uh, in between 12, 1 and 2, and 12, 9 through 18, verses 3 through 8, where Paul is dealing with that, that matter of how it is the presence of the Spirit and the gifting of the Spirit that enables us to live in uh, ways that are pleasing to God, that represent the, the doing of His perfect will. Uh, they are works of the Spirit, not fruit of the Spirit, and not works of the flesh. So what Paul is dealing with in 9 through 18, these are the kinds of actions that uh, you would expect in someone who has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit is in them. So just in answer to the question, is it realistic to think we can do it? Well, yes, but I would put one caveat on that, uh, and that is that we cannot, will not do them apart from being transformed by the Spirit. In other words, it is the Spirit's presence in us that empowers us to live in this way. And one other point, we, we won't be automatically perfect. If a person is saved, they don't just automatically become mature uh, in their faith. That's, a, that's the process of sanctification uh, that we've talked about previously there. Uh, Spiritual growth is an ongoing process throughout our lifetimes as believers. So, yes, it's realistic to think that we can do these things. In fact, I would say it's an expectation that we do these things, but it is certainly uh, these are actions that come um, in concert with the, the Spirit who lives within us. He's the one that transforms us, uh, our bodies but also our minds. There's a sense in which that transformation takes place at conversion, but then there's also a sense in where there's a process involved with that transformation uh, continuing to take place in our lives, uh, maybe even up to the point of death, 
that we're still being uh, reshaped, remolded. Would that be fair to say, David? Oh, that's that's justification, sanctification, <laughs> leading toward glorification. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that is fair to say. One thing that's in this passage that jumps at me is this idea of living at peace with everyone. How do we do that? Is that even possible? I mean, <laughs> you know. Well, uh, look in verse, uh, verse 18 where uh, Paul says, and he, it's interesting, he puts two uh, qualifiers there. He says, if possible. And then he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace uh, with everyone. So he, he's saying that, all right, it's, it's possible in some instances, uh, but it may be that in other instances, it's just going to depend on you. In other words, uh, we can't control what, uh, what, what the devil might do in others and in provoking them uh, because we, we've got an enemy. <laughs> Our enemy's not God anymore when we become believers, but we still have an enemy, and that enemy is Satan. Uh, and Satan does all he can to, um, to disrupt uh, God's work, to disrupt God's people, to disrupt God's family. Uh, and so it may not be possible in certain circumstances. You may need to defend uh, yourself, your family, uh, other believers, uh, and yet if it depends on you, if the, if the driving, if the linchpin there is, okay, what am I going to choose to do? Paul says, seek to live at peace with others. Uh, and uh, so uh, that, that's part of what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 6 and 11. Remember when he, when he urged believers to put on the full armor of God because uh, we need to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, one of those schemes might be causing conflict between yourself and a neighbor or sowing seeds of distrust with a spouse. And if the devil can get you Christians fighting, well, he feels like he's won a battle for sure. Uh, and so, as if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Before we go, one thing I want to point out for this week is the Bible skill. The Bible skill encourages us to read, reflect on, and react emotionally to a Bible verse. And what it tells us to do, what we're directed to do, is to read Romans 12, 1 and 2 aloud several times. And then each time we read it, we emphasize different words or phrases in that passage. It gives us the example uh, in the Bible skill that for one reading, we may emphasize the word you and your each time it appears. Then the next time we read it, we may emphasize the action words. And then another time we read it, we may uh, emphasize just the, ver uh, just the nouns. Excuse me. Each time we read it, it's going to sound a little bit different. It's going to have a different feeling to it. So the question that's asked in the Bible skill is, how does the verse move you emotionally each time you've read it in a different way? What feelings are invoked? What phrases uh, are emphasized more as you read it that way? It gives you an opportunity to think through that verse in many different ways, those two verses, 12, 1, and 2. One thing you may want to do is when you're in your group time, you may want to find a way to use that Bible skill as a group activity and then discuss the different feelings and emotions that are evoked by doing that process, by reading that passage, emphasizing different words and phrases. 
Thank you much for being with us this week. Next week, we're going to be looking at session 12. David's going to be with us again. And we're looking at what it means for us to be citizens. Paul's going to deal with that issue in Romans 13, 1 through 14. And he's going to be telling the Roman believers the importance of living as citizens. Thank you much and God bless.